What I was about to say was the, uh, the table, the Homes of Hope information and sign-up table is out in the lobby. So even, uh, even if you're just not sure at all, but there's any interest whatsoever, uh, stop by and grab some information and talk with the folks there. I think you'll be happy that you did. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. Last week at the end of the sermon, if you were here at this service, I, I gave you an assignment, was to read chapter 3 of James. We're talking about the wisdom of God last week and this week and, and next week, and uh, invited you to grab a notebook or a journal or whatever the case may be, and keep track of every time something came out of your mouth that was unfruitful, that was unhelpful, that was angry, that was gossip, slander, uh, a bad word. Just kind of keep track of that all week long. So uh, did any, does anybody even remember that we talked about that? I'm not going to ask show of hands whether you, whether you actually did it or not. Uh, but as, as we have prepared for this Sunday, uh, and the notion that uh, disciples can uh, come and can show up on a Sunday morning, can praise God, can even have a wonderful personal devotional life, Bible study life, and at the same time use their mouth for such horrific uh, injustices and hurts is somewhat mind-boggling. And so the best way, I think, to learn a lesson is to examine your own life. So that's why I gave you the, the, uh, the assignment. And then here's what happened to me. I left church. And I was, I, I was in a hurry to get to a very important meeting called a round of golf. And I had just enough time to run through the drive-thru at McDonald's and grab a couple cheeseburgers and head over to the golf course. And I pull up to the, the McDonald's drive-thru over here, and they really messed it up by putting two lanes in. Because now if you get there about the same time as the other car, I mean, who really got their order in first? Who really should be the next car to get in line? You know, and so I'm standing there and I order my, my lunch. And I start to move forward, and the car over here in front of me just kind of cuts in front of me. So I don't, like, curse them. I don't say anything really, really bad. But I'm just like, you know, there should be more politeness in the world. There should be, you know, people just shouldn't be so greedy to get in front of other people. I didn't say anything very uplifting, um, but I didn't say anything really terrible. So I get up to the window, and I get out my little debit card to pay. And the woman says, well, that car in front of you insisted on paying for lunch and said, you have a nice day. I'm glad you're enjoying this story. (laughs) It was a white minivan. So if it was you, and I've got the parking people outside writing down license plates of white minivans. (laughs) A, thank you. My cheeseburgers and iced tea were wonderful. And B, would you please forgive me for using my tongue in such an ungodly way. So I asked you to keep keep track of yours. My made it till about 1245 right after the sermon. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. Hear the word of God. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
There's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You promise that it is life-giving to us even when it deals with uh, matters as stark as the wickedness of our words. Father, you save us, you redeem us through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, and you are changing our lives. You are transforming us by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, but that is very much a work in progress. There are times when our spirit cooperates with your spirit, and we're walking in lockstep with you, and our hearts are different, and our attitudes are different, and our words are different, and there are other moments when we take back control. And we live as if you have no meaning in our lives. And our words show exactly that. And so, Father, the journey back and forth between praising you and using our words to hurt others is a journey every person in this room is on. So every one of us, Lord, needs to hear this word. We didn't come to hear my thoughts, my ideas. I proved by less than an hour after last week that I was not the one who is capable of changing anyone's life. Lord, this only happens through your power, and so we come to sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, and ask that you would teach us, that you would not allow my sin to stand in the way of what you want us to understand this morning, and we pray in your name, amen. Well, the sermon and the sentence is a little bit longer this morning, so I'm going to give it to you. I try to make it brief, but but this is a pretty pretty important subject, so it rambles just a bit. Disciples of Jesus must be aware of the sinful speech patterns that come out of our mouths, but originate in our hearts so that we may confess our sin, receive forgiveness and experience life giving transformation. The order of that sentence is is very important. Sometimes the order isn't all that important this morning. It is. There's a very logical direction to this that James speaks of. We need to, first of all, understand we have a problem. Uh, That's where we begin. Secondly, we need to understand that the problem is not just with what we say, but it's actually more of who we are as people. It's, it's the brokenness of our hearts and how that needs to be addressed so that we can then move towards life, which is confession of sin, experience of forgiveness, and life-giving transformation. We have four observations in this text, and I'll also tell you that when we get to the fourth observation, I'm going to move into the Gospels a little bit to expand the, uh, to, to expand the the notion of what the solution may be for this. The first is simply this, and I've mentioned it already. This is a sin that is common to all disciples. It's actually common to all mankind. There are people, whether you follow Jesus or you're agnostic or an atheist or a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever the case may be, every human being has the problem of using their voice in a way that is counterproductive, in a way that is harmful. But James says to Christians, don't think you're off the hook here. Don't think you're better than you are. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Well, James knows that there are no perfect people. 
So on the one hand, this is a, should be a bit of a comfort to us in verse 2. There are sins in our lives where we think, I might be the only one experiencing this. I might be the only person that has this kind of evil thought in their heart that makes it actually out of their mouth. I mean, I know you've probably been in a situation like I have from time to time where you say something, you go, oh, I, I just can't believe I said that. I, I, I don't sound anything at all like a follower of Jesus. I'm just so ashamed. And, and you hope nobody heard it because nobody else would ever say something that bad, right? James says, you know what, brothers and sisters, this is common. You're, you're in this together which is also an encouragement we'll see later to be able to share with one another and talk with one another and encourage one another in this area of our lives. But it, but it ought not stop there. I think verse 2 is also a challenge. James is saying it's a, it's a sin common to all of us, but that ought to get our attention. And I'll say, you know what? Something ought to be done. If this is something that is common in the people of God, then it should have our collective attention. It's not enough just to know we're in this together. I'm quite certain the people that were on the Titanic weren't just taking comfort in the fact that they were going to go down with about 1,500 of their best friends. I'm sure that they felt much more than that. It's not enough for us to say, well, it's common to everybody. It should also be a challenge for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another to deal with this honestly. My second observation is I believe that James is pointing out that this is one of the biggest spiritual battles in your life and in mine. I believe that that what comes out of our mouth is something that is so potentially harmful and corruptive that it is something that is a huge struggle in all of our lives. And that's why I've given the the title of the sermon, Double-Tongued Disciples. How how do we see this in this particular passage? Well, in verse 3, what does James say? James says that we put a, a, a little bit uh, into the bridle, into the, into the horse's mouth, and we can move them wherever we want to. In other words, James is saying that, that technology has reached the place in, in his generation where uh, a whole herd of horses can be moved in any direction, that, that man is actually able to tame the beasts. But he also goes on to say, and think about a ship. Think about a ship sailing across the ocean, going to the four corners of the earth. It's a huge vessel, and, and it sails upon an enormous ocean, and yet this little rudder takes it wherever the pilot desires for it to go. We can harness nature. Now, these are things that we take for granted in our day and age, but the the example should bear itself out. Think about everything that's happened in this world in the last hundred years. My wonderful mother's here on Sunday morning. She's going to be 90 years old in January, and I'm very proud of the fact that she's doing so great. But think about what it's been like. I'm sorry to point out your age in front of everybody, but it's a badge of honor now. I couldn't tell you how old my wife is. I get in trouble for that. But think of what's happened since 1926. Think about what's happened in this world. Think about the technology. Think about the advancement in medicine. Think about the advancements in education. Think about the standard of living. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We've conquered so much, and James is pointing that out. People are, are, are capable of amazing things except this. Nobody nobody, nobody can tame the tongue. Look at verse eight. Verse seven, he says, every kind of beast and bird or reptile has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I mentioned to you the the challenge that I put out there for you to kind of keep track. So I thought it'd be fair to to give you my scorecard just for for disclosure here. And I want to stop for just a second and say to folks who are visiting Green Tree, we don't brag about our sin here. I'm not doing this to say, you know, 
the, look, at, look at all the terrible things I did. Um, we want to be honest about our sin. If you don't know the bad news about your life, then the gospel never becomes good news to you because you don't understand your desperate need for a savior. So if you hang around with us, you're going to hear us talk about our sin, hopefully not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that leads us to the grace and the mercy of God. So on Sunday, after preaching that sermon and thinking about this text, I had eight times, uh, seven on the golf course, one before I got to the golf course. Uh, Monday, uh, I had five because only about half the staff was here. So that was a lower day. Tuesday, only two, but there's an asterisk by that too, because I actually got on a plane and had to go to a denominational meeting in Detroit, Michigan. So I didn't talk to really anybody. I talked to one stranger kind of long enough to say hello and goodbye when I got off the plane. So I was kind of set up for success there. Wednesday, four, Thursday, six, Friday, four. And then yesterday I spent most of the day by myself and I was thinking about the sermon. So I could only come up with one yesterday. So that's 30 in the last week. So if you play that out 52 weeks a year, you come up with 1,560 times in the last 12 months that I've used the words in my mouth to be hurtful or to be counterproductive or to be destructive. If you play that out over 40 years since I was 16 years old, I just took it back that far. I could have taken it back even further. And if you assume the average is 30, which, which is probably being awfully nice to me, You come up with 62,000 times when I've used my voice to harm other people, right? Nobody tames the tongue. And I would venture to say if you were really willing to to take the test this week and to follow along or just to ask those people closest to you, how am I doing it? Always saying life-giving things in our friendship or in our marriage or as your father or as your mom or as your your son or as your daughter. How am I doing it? Always sharing words of life with you that are are driven from a heart that's been captured by the gospel. My guess is if people are going to be honest with you, they'll, they'll give you a grade and it won't be an A+. All of us are in this issue. But the, 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 the point here is that we cannot give in to this hypocrisy. Yes, this is rampant. Yes, this is a challenge. Yes, this is difficult. But we can't just say, well, that's the way it is. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says this, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And we've done that this morning. We've sung praise to God. We've said encouraging words to one another. We, we prayed the prayer the Lord taught us to pray. We've, we've been using our voices. I'm trying to use my voice in this sermon to be edifying. We praise and bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. So James finishes by telling us it's not okay. Yes, it is one of the biggest challenges you'll face, but you can't leave it there. Well, that taught me, that that led me to ask the question, well, why is this so tough to overcome? Why is this so difficult for the common disciple of Jesus? And I went back through the passage and I pulled out a few things here. The first one in verse five, it says this, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. I began to think about boasting in, in my life and the lives of the people around me. And in my mind, boasting comes from one of two places. You're either insecure and you're worried that you're not quite um, a, a, as smart or as bright or, or, or you have as much going for you as the folks around you. So when you do something good, you kind of kind of talk about it a little bit so people will know that you're a pretty good person and you're insecure, so that drives you that direction. The other thing that I think leads to boasting it's just flat out pride. You just kind of think you're really, really good. And you're pretty sure that everybody else needs to know about that. And so you don't mind sharing your fame with others. 
And you don't look at it as pride. Most prideful people don't think they're prideful people. They just think they're right. Okay? Yeah, I'm, of course I'm better than others. So why shouldn't people know that? Okay? That's where boasting comes from. And James says, you've got this little tongue in your head. And look at the, look at the huge damage it causes. But it gets even worse than that. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness is a fairly big word. It kind of is a theological word. So I want to make sure we can kind of boil it down to its fundamental meaning. Unrighteousness at its core simply means this, that I'm living a me-centered, selfish-driven life at my core. In other words, God says to me, Tom, you give life-giving words to the people around you. Let me capture your heart and let that change you from the inside out so that your speech is actually edifying to others. And there are a lot of times when I say, yes, Lord, and there are other times when I say, nope, don't like it because it doesn't serve my purposes. I want to yell at that person because I'm not happy. I, I, I want to gossip about that person because that person uh, gossiped about me last week and I heard about it. And I want to get my pound of flesh. And I live as if the gospel means nothing to me. I live in what a good friend of mine calls situational atheism. It's as if God doesn't even exist in that moment. That's unrighteousness. When I take over control of my life and I say, God, I know what you've said, but I'm going to reject it. Paul says, we're boastful, we're unrighteous. And what's the net effect of that? Look at the rest of verse six. He goes on to say this, this tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body because our soul, our heart is stained by sin. It's the residue of old priorities and passions. When you come to Christ for salvation, when God saves you, when he steps into your life and he gives you a spirit of new life in your heart and he redeems you through the blood of Jesus, you're not at that moment made perfect in your attitude and your behavior. You're made perfect in the sight of God. Your sins have been washed clean, but you still have a life to live before you get home. And that journey is both following God and trusting God and seeing God change your life. And it's also moments of going back to the old ways. And James is talking about the stain and he says, you're going to slip back into old ways. This is going to happen to you. You need to be aware of that because your heart is being transformed, but it hasn't been completely transformed yet. You're not yet with the Savior. There's one other piece of this that's very important for us to see in verse 6. And he says this, setting the fire of the entire course of, uh, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I don't think James is using the word hell there to, to, to make some kind of uh, passionate statement. I think he's talking about our enemy. I think he's saying that Satan knows very well that this is a problem for the human race, that Satan knows that he can trip up Christians by getting inside their head and getting inside their heart and getting them to be focused on their anger or their resentment or whatever the pain may be that's going to then come out of their mouth in an ungodly manner. If you've ever coached or played on any kind of sport, you know if your opponent has a weakness, you want to exploit it. A little shout out to the Cubs fans. Okay, we'll give you, you exploited some good, some weaknesses of the Cardinals. That's the last time you'll ever hear me say that, right? But that's how you get after it. That's how you win. And Satan wants to destroy the, the church of Jesus Christ. That's a win for him. And so if he can do that by setting our tongues on fire, he will. Think of how many churches I've known over the years that have been so severely damaged or even destroyed by gossip, by discord, by backbiting, by complaining, by infighting. And friends who have been at Green Tree for a little while, look around you. Look at where you're sitting this morning. Look at what God has provided for us. You don't think Satan realizes that? 
You don't think Satan hates that with every fiber of his being? You don't think that Satan would love to see nothing better than Green Tree Community Church destroyed? And if that happens, it's going to be from the inside. It's not going to be from the outside. Satan's going to pit us against one another. And if we're not wise to that, if we're not understanding of that, we will find ourselves in big trouble. I had a friend at church last week who I've known almost all my life. He's probably almost, he's about my oldest friend. This guy named Clark Noyoff, and we grew up together at Covenant Church out on Ballast Road in town and country. And Clark and his wife, Cindy, live in Chicago, but when they're in town, they come and visit a green tree. And so we see him about three times a year. And they happened to be in town last Sunday and they came to church and, uh, and we were chatting after church and we were one, some of the last ones walking out. And Clark looked at me like, like an old friend can. And he said, you need to be really, really careful. I said, well, thank you. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? And he said, you look around. It's kind of what I just said to you. If you don't think Satan's put a big bullseye on your chest and is going to be out to get you, you're out of your mind. You need to be prayerful. You need to be very careful. You need to make sure people around you are praying for you because look at what God is doing. Not just your building, but look at the position God's put you in to make an impact in this community. And you know what? He was exactly right. I said, thank you very much. Why is it so tough to overcome? Because of all these things, both internally that we bring upon ourselves, but also externally, our enemy seeking to destroy us. So is there a solution? Is there a hope for you and for me? Or is it just kind of, well, let's try a little bit harder. Let's you know, try to, you know, we're gonna, for every bad thing I say, I'm going to say two good things. I can kind of make up for it that way. No, there's something much deeper and much more profound. And we're just going to introduce it this morning. We're really going to answer all of it by the end of next week. But let's start with where not to look. Okay, verses 11 and 12, James wraps this up and he says this, he's he's asking a a rhetorical question. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The answer is obviously no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying to us, metaphorically, if you're just going to look in your own heart and try to to pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps, it's not going to work. Your heart is conflicted. So to, to, to go to kind of a self-help notion of an idea for a solution here is a waste of time and it's a waste of energy. And here's where I'm going to leave James for a few minutes and kind of look in a different direction uh, for, the, uh, for the answer before we come to, to next week. First of all, let me just say Jesus reinforces this. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is answering a question that was posed to him by some people. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the mouth, or excuse me, from out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. So Jesus, James is simply repeating what Jesus has said. If you're going to put your heart on the issue, it's it, it, the, or if you're going to put your finger on the issue, it's the heart. So I can't just try harder. What do we need to do? Bottom line is we need to ask for help. We need to go, remember what we talked about last week? Ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. This is where I want to go to uh, the Gospel of John for just a couple of minutes, give you a couple of verses here. Jesus is spending his last night before his crucifixion with his disciples, and they're shaky, and they're nervous, and they're scared, and he's saying a lot of wonderful things to them, but one of the things he promises to them is help. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says in John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Notice the H there is capitalized. Even the spirit of truth, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus goes on to say later on in that chapter in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is promising assistance from the Holy Spirit. One more verse in chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knows that your heart and my heart struggle. And part of the outcome of that struggle is what comes out of our mouth. And so he didn't leave us alone to tackle it by ourselves. He didn't say, I'm going to save you and I'll see you when you get to heaven. And good luck. You probably won't always say nice things to people, but we'll figure that out in eternity. No, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you to abide in you so you can recognize these things and so you can have assistance in overcoming the sin that wants to have a stranglehold on your life. What's the helper's goal? What is, what is he ultimately after? How does he aid us? Well, in John 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he's prayed for his disciples. He's prayed for, for his, it's now down to 11 guys. He's prayed for them, but now he's going to pray for everybody else. He's going to pray for you and for me. And he says this, I do not pray only for, for these only, for the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. If, we're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, it's because the disciples were faithful to pass it on to their generation and the next generation, the next generation until this morning. I pray for them who believe through their word that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's Jesus' prayer there? His prayer is for unity. You can't have unity when you speak discord. You can't have unity when you speak hatred. You can't have unity when gossip is what comes out of your mouth on a continual basis. Jesus is praying that our hearts would be unified just as the Trinity. Think about the intimacy and the bond within the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Think about the unity that would allow Jesus to go to the cross and suffer and die and be raised from the dead so that we could be saved. Think about how God is, is, is in complete lockstep with himself in, the, in his three persons. And Jesus says, that's what I want for my people, which means that the words of our mouth through the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit give us that kind of unity. What have we prayed this morning about God's kingdom? Your kingdom, what? Come your will be done where? Say it with me. On earth as it is in heaven. We want this unity to reside at Green Tree Community Church. It doesn't come from you and me trying harder, brothers and sisters. It comes from us throwing ourselves at the cross of Jesus Christ, at his mercy and his grace, believing that the Holy Spirit is entering our lives and can change us from the inside out. With that in mind, the fundamental application this morning. Let me tell you where I, I, I think we ought to go with this. I want to encourage you again this week to pray every day that the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sinful speech patterns. I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm probably going to need to pray it, as you saw my numbers, probably 10 or 15 times every day. But until I know what the problem is, I can't come up with a solution, right? And I, I, I want you to pray this, not because I want God to put his thumb on you and crush you, because I know he won't do that. He'll show you your sin. He shows me my sin so that he can show us the enormity of his forgiveness and so that the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts to change us, to move us in a new direction. But it starts by saying, Lord, I need to, I need to see the true condition of my heart. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the underlying cause. A lot of our anger comes out of our pain. 
A lot of, a lot of the things that, that, we, uh, that we say that are unhealthy uh, are things that we maybe learned at an early age. We're taught that's not to excuse us. It's not to say that it's okay. But, it, but God may be showing you there's some pain in your life that you've never dealt with. And if that's the case, praise God, because there are lots of brothers and sisters in Christ here at Green Tree. We have counselors at Green Tree that can help with that. And, and wrestle with you through those things and, and maybe give you a new gospel-centered perspective on those issues in your life. But we need to ask the Holy Spirit to understand what's truly in our hearts, not just the words that are coming out of our mouths. And then I would, I'm not a big journaler. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think I got six journals in my, in my desk drawer. And I think, you know, the, the one that has the most written on is like maybe 10 pages. But I would encourage you to jot down some notes this week on what you learn, because what God will teach you is for your healing. It's for his glory. It's for, it's for, it's for uh, your benefit. It's for my benefit. If we will be a people of God who grow in this area of our lives, the unity of this church will grow. The love of this church will go, and that will attract the world to our doorstep and say, what is different about those people? And we'll get the chance to say, it's not us. It's the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to come back next Sunday, if you can, because we're going to look at James 4, and we're going to kind of continue this conversation. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's kind of what comes out of our heart and what we say to one another. So I want to take us back to the beginning and end where we started. Um, it, it, it didn't really matter, unless you're the person that bought me the, the, the sandwiches last week. Nobody heard me. No, nobody, I was in the car by myself. But I heard it, and it hurt my heart. didn't help me in my relationship with Christ, other than it allowed me to confess my sin once again. It's so crucial, brothers and sisters, that we look inward. Let me read you a sermon in a sentence. Disciples of Jesus, put your name there if you're a disciple of Jesus. We must be aware of the sinful speech patterns that come out of our mouths but originates in our heart so that we can confess our sin, receive forgiveness, and experience life-giving transformation. Will you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we thank you for the challenge of this text. Father, it puts, it, it puts the microscope or, or turns the light on to um, patterns in our lives that we, quite honestly, would rather just kind of not think about. Uh, when we say an unkind word, when we gossip, uh, we're not proud. And at the end of the day, we, we feel worse. We don't feel better. But somehow, Lord, we just uh, we kind of keep going back. Uh, Father, I thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit and how I have seen in my life where change has occurred. And I know my brothers and sisters uh, sitting here in the congregation this morning, we can point to moments. As Brad and Heather talked about their fears of going on a trip and, and still going, we, we see your life-transforming work, and we need that in this congregation. We need, every one of us needs it individually. Father, we pray that you would protect us from ourselves, from our own tendency to use our mouths in the wrong way. Father, we pray that you protect us against the evil one who wants to destroy your church. Father, show us our sin, that you would show us our redemption, that you would give us a, a healing pathway through the power of your spirit and your word to transform our hearts and our lives, to bring you glory and to nurture your people and to be a witness to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.